Welcome to This Week in Liberpods, your libertarian, voluntarist, anarchist, and agorist podcast test drive show. I'm your host, Nikki P. Let's check out five new podcasts. All right, first up on this Friday edition of This Week in Liberpods, we have a podcast that probably doesn't need this in the least, but he had Stefan Kinsella on as a guest this week. So anyway, I can help promote that. I'm all on board for This is the Tom Woods Show, which is a combination interview and monologue podcast. Let's see what they got today. In our case, we're going to have a boring show. It's just more that they didn't know what was going to happen. They just got in there and went. And <laughs> I got you. I just I turned my microphone on and I'm starting to talk to, to Kinsella. Well, how about this? I think what we'll do is we'll compromise with the folks, the, the people who want 24-7 virus, the people who want 24-7 non-virus. Let's take like the second half of our chat today and just have nothing to say about the virus at all. Okay, I'll ask you. Well, some- I'll tell you what, if, if, if one of us gets the virus, then we'll, we'll, we'll have another talk and talk about that. How about that? Exactly. But until we get the virus, let's, let's leave it alone. Exactly. And you know, the thing is, I, I'll say, okay, we'll say one last thing because one of my um, college friends, in fact, on my Facebook page, my, my personal one, I even have a photo in my college photos section of me um, at dinner with this guy uh, back when, when we were much younger. And that's David Lapp, who was the, who just was uh, discharged a couple of days ago after having been on a ventilator. He's two years younger than I am. He's uh, uh, two and a half, maybe. He's, he's 44. And uh, he was, it was a very celebrated case in New York City because he's the founder of the Above the Law legal blog. He was live blogging from his uh, hospital bed until he was on the ventilator and it looked real, things looked really, really bad for him. And then he made it out and he tweeted out that, you know, look, I have people, uh, you know, friends who say that this hydroxychloroquine thing doesn't work. And I have people who say it does. And he says, one of the people who says it does is my mother, a pathologist who is firmly convinced that it saved my life. Now, I don't, again, mm-hmm. how am I going to know that? So mm-hmm, I thought about mm-hmm. having him on, but he's on like, you know, at this point, good morning, America. Ain't no way he's got time for the Tom, Tom Woods show. So when you were talking about- I don't know. I wouldn't sell yourself short. Well, it's I, possible. I bet he would. Uh, but I think I as, right now he's still recovering and he's really slammed. But in terms of you were saying about having the virus, I would be very curious to talk to him uh, about what that was like. But let's instead talk about something totally unrelated. I want to talk about mm-hmm. young Stefan Kinsella because, because you- have written a lot of foundational stuff about libertarianism, you know, like not, not just uh, about, you know, not stuff like price controls or whatever, but, but stuff where you've really gone into areas where we really could use a little bit more work done and you've done it and you've done some original stuff, um, but you must've come from somewhere. And I want to know, you know, I started off as a kind of middle of the road GOP guy because that was as mm-hmm. far as my father got me. And I'm glad mm-hmm. he got me at least that far because he got me past at least the worst of the gross errors I might have committed. And then I took it from there. Where did you start? Um, so we're going to do the opposite of the one I interviewed you about how you got into Harvard, how I got into LSU. Just joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> um, I think I kind of had an interesting confluence of uh, like uh, aptitudes and um, just things that happened to me that led me. So I was basically from Louisiana, from a, a small town, rural area, but always was you know kind of bookish and smart and went to decent schools, Catholic. I was raised Catholic. And, um, but at a certain point, 
I got really interested in philosophy and all that kind of stuff, and mostly because of Rand. Um, so I became really interested in objectivism and, and then then gradually libertarianism and anarchism. And because I kind of have more of a scholarly type mind, like I'm not just someone who's a, a, a you know an activist type of reader. When I went to engineering and then law school, and I went to law school because I enjoyed the verbal arguing and the legal, and the economic type and other reasoning, you know, the human, the non-engineering formula type stuff. Um, I started near the end of that thinking really hard about libertarian um, issues, like on a theoretical level, and that ended up. I went to uh, get a master's degree. In- I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Tom Woods Show with guest Stephen Kinsella. Our second clip today is from Free Talk Live, a daily podcast made out of the daily terrestrial radio program. It's a libertarian talk radio show with Collins. Hope you enjoy. Things are beginning to return to normal because my Google News feed was not filled with crap about the coronavirus for once. Really? It's, it's stuff related to the coronavirus, like how difficult it's become to buy liquor and other economic effects the, the government's actions have had on people, but not so much the virus itself. Now, who is this Dr. Fauci, Fauci, I don't know what their name is, and why are they suddenly the spokesperson for coronavirus? Well, so he's got some title. Trump appointed him, and now Fauci is very tied in with like Bill Gates and the you know sort of like the the you know the elite or cabal as whatever people would call. So Trump appointed him to be the head of his coronavirus task force, and for some reason, right, this guy's a medical doctor, but for some reason he's able also being allowed to make economic decisions for the country, right? He's the one saying that we're not going to be able to. Uh, he's like repeating Bill Gates's talking point, saying that we can't oh, reopen the country until there's a vaccine. And uh, it's they, sort of like they he, expect that to take a year and a half, though. Correct? Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, like they there's there there appear to be people out there willing to say things like the country isn't going to be open in 2020, um, and I don't think Americans are going to put up with this. Pennsylvania has closed all of its liquor stores, right? Absolutely, that's correct. Yes, and that's very dangerous thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's extremely yes. stupid. And extremely dangerous because according to the article I have in front of me, uh, New Jersey is now being overwhelmed by Pennsylvanians who want to buy yes. liquor. Well, isn't it cheaper and in New Jersey also in, in general? And, and, and if I may, my my nephew lives in Delaware. They have stopped Pennsylvania residents from going into Delaware to buy liquor. How they did they stop them? set up roadblocks, roadblocks on the Delaware-Pennsylvania border to stop people from Pennsylvania to come into Delaware to buy liquor. Now, there which side of the border did this? Delaware? Um, well, yeah, Delaware did it because they don't want people from Pennsylvania coming in buying liquor. And you can't come back or if, if you manage to get in and if you come back out, I imagine there's somebody on the other side waiting for you to say, hey, is your trunk full of liquor? You're but liquor screwed. isn't illegal in Pennsylvania. They've simply closed. Liquor is not. It's just a, it's just it's just you can't buy it. OK. Because the state, the state's got you coming and going. They sell you the liquor and then they arrest you when you drink too much. Well, and then, if right you're now, out they're, public, they're they'll arrest you if you drink too much for sure. I've been curious from the start how this imposition of gathering limits was going to affect churches. 
right, which regularly have more than 10 people there, but they, their right to gather and worship is unequivocally protected by constitutions at the state and the federal level. Unless there's a virus. Well, then it's still protected. The government just doesn't care that it's protected. And nobody seems to care that the government doesn't care. So now you've just got, you know, whatever. That's not necessarily the case in Kansas. Um, Governor Laura Kelly's executive order restricting the size of religious gatherings amid the coronavirus outbreak was overturned today after the state's top prosecutor said that it likely violates the Constitution. Well, that's um, now we're talking about uh, lawyers, uh, you know, looking at their laws. And I think that some lawyers can look at the I don't see any of these uh, stop work orders as constitutional from what I can tell. Like, where is it? I don't think the president can do this. He hasn't declared martial law. And even if he does, nothing in the Constitution gives him the authority to declare martial law. Well, the mentioning of martial laws in the Constitution, so presumably the declaration. All right. So once again, that was a clip from Free Talk Live. For our third clip today, we have Libertarian, hosted by Richard Epstein over at the Hoover Institution. Richard covers a variety of topics and approaches things from a more mainstream libertarian point of view. While he may not be as radical as I like, he's definitely an intelligent person with a wide dearth of experience. Let's check it out. Of this kind of system of a share identification are lost. They're now just transfers from A to B. And you ask yourself, who's going to invest in a corporation if the board of directors could pick you out at random as somebody for whom you could tax specially or somebody from whom you could receive benefits? Everything would fall apart. So essentially what happens is when we put collective entities together, we're designed to protect against that kind of opportunism. Then take it back to what we say about the general welfare clause. Um, Adrian doesn't read the full thing in context, which you have to do. And it's taxing power to pay the debt. And what they mean by that is the public debt, the debt of everybody. They don't mean to pay the debt of John or Smith. To provide for the common defense, that's the defense of everybody in the United States. And to provide for the general welfare of the United States, which is to be understood as meaning putting to place those kinds of measures like those which are done by a well-organized corporation, which advance uniformly the rights of all individuals. So methodological individualism is essentially the thing that prevents these collective endeavors from blowing up because nobody will contribute to a collective venture if the people who are in charge of it have the power to wipe you out or to benefit you. And so the general welfare has to be tightly tethered, as it was for a very, very long time um, in most cases, to say you can't benefit A at the expense of B. And in Adrian's view, making A, B, C, D, and E better off uniformly is no different uh, from a common uh, good cost solution, which says that you could take from A and could give to B. And those things should be treated as polar opposites, And under this particular common good constitutionalism, often they're treated as though they're identical. This dovetails nicely into the next thing that I was going to ask you. One of Vermeule's arguments early in this piece is that conflating originalism with classical liberalism or even positing a significant overlap between them is a sleight of hand, that really the founder's vision was not classically liberal in nature, that individual liberty was not all that high in their hierarchy of values. I'm speaking with the author of a book entitled The Classical Liberal Constitution. How do you parry with his argument? 
Well, I think that if you look at the Constitution, the first thing you have to understand is it's motivated by two elements. One of them, there is the clear necessity to figure out how you get a deal together amongst states that are for very difficult situations. And the obvious deal killer that existed at that particular time was slavery. Um, you could have probably gotten a majority of the develop of the delegates to say we want to ban slavery as immoral, uh, but we but also discover at the same time is that you would lose key states like Virginia and South Carolina and so forth, so you'd have no union at all. So what you did is you put into place an elaborate set of compromises on those issues, which were designed to preserve slavery against the uh, general takeaways from the federal government uh, with certain limitations on it. So it's a compromise in the sense you could not import slaves into the United States under any circumstances after 1808. But on the other hand, you couldn't stop the internal slave trade within the United States, nor could you pass any kind of legislation which says that if you are trying to sell goods from a state, slave state, some other state of the federal government could ban you from shipping those goods into interstate commerce, thus cutting you off from your natural or your national market. So that is certainly a very large part of what's going on. But then you start looking at the rest of the Constitution, and it's pretty clear that they have very much the principles of classical liberalism in mind, if you take into account both the original constitution and, of course, the key Bill of Rights. So in the structural situation, one of the things that you see in the classical liberal tradition is writing through Locke and Montesquieu, later endorsed by Madison, talking about the importance of separation of powers on the grounds that we never want to give any one person sufficient power uh, so that they can control the way in which everything operates. And it turns out there is no unique solution to the problem of division of powers under separation of powers and checks and balances. But you can see that these guys thought extremely hard about it in order... All right, one more time for the people in the back. That was Libertarian with Richard Epstein. For clip number four, we actually have a clip from the Unregistered podcast with Thaddeus Russell. While I don't know that I would describe that as a libertarian of any kind, he seems to float in our circles. So enjoy his interview podcast. Let's dig in. Well, it's... He didn't say it's it like me that. extenuating, uh, pushing. Yeah, where, does he, Nietzsche, where does Nietzsche say that? Well, he talks about truth and religion are the same thing because they both seek the truth. Yeah, he doesn't but, talk about the vacuum. He no, he doesn't do that part. But he implies it's that that there's a nihilism. To Damn, science, I was feeling I method. was feeling pretty good about science recently because you know I was I was interviewed Donald Hoffman at UC Irvine just a few weeks ago, and he's a neurocognitive scientist. Mm-hmm. He's a scientist in the yeah. science buildings yeah. at UC Irvine, right? Yeah. And he was saying physicists now are sure that time and space are going to be anachronistic, that there is something outside of time and space, that we're going to be thinking completely different thing, differently oh, about yeah. everything. I like that. And they're into this. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, this is incredible. A yeah. scientist is admitting this. Yeah. He also said to me, a scientist, yeah. that no scientific theory has ever been proven. Not one. Not one. Not bad. So yeah, I was feeling all good about science. Yeah. But now you're... But you're my problem with science is that, it, it, that it's not <laughs> empirical. <laughs> that, if you be, that if you begin actually being empirical, you, you start so taking funny. into okay. consideration things that can't be measured. Okay, so, right. so, so this, is, this right. is the Daniel Coffey 101. This is right. m- pretty much the subject of your book, right? Um, and let's, let's be clear about this. And this is what you're going to be talking about at the Renegade University weekend, too, I think, at least in part. It's about seeing the world differently than we are trained to. Certainly in politics, you know, in the world I come from, intellectualism, you know, and this goes for the humanities, social sciences, the sciences, right? We are trained to, uh, to evaluate the world 
uh, through logic, rationality, reason, et cetera, right? Right, right, right. right. Okay, which can do some stuff. You know, you can build a bridge and, you know, you can probably organize a big company that way or whatever. Yeah. Uh, a military loves that kind of thinking, right? And it's quite effective in certain ways. But that is a very particular narrow form of discourse, of yes. communication, of seeing, of, yeah. of feeling. Making sense. Of making sense. There yes. you go. That's your yeah. phrase. Yeah. So, and you're saying there's all this stuff, as you were saying before, between us and between yes. people and within a social yeah. milieu yeah. that goes and on. That, and that we're all... Um, sort of ecologically figured. We're mm -hmm. contingent beings, right? Mm -hmm. So, the, I mean, the very constitution of my subjectivity or my perspective is already enmeshed with other things, right? right? I'm made up of other things. I am a grab bag. I am a, I am a remix of mm -hmm. the world, right? Mm -hmm. Quite literally, I, we all have skin, but I, my skin is this way, right? right? So we're remixing the world as a, it, locally according to all sorts of metabolic functions, right? So are you saying that science cannot predict this conversation? Because science is all about predicting, right? That's how, that's their. Except, what's funny about science is where they is get that all their credibilities when they predict things. It's so it's so historical based too, though. It's so about how, they can't. Uh, what's already happened, right? That it's mm. never open to the emergent, right? It's all about shutting down. Mm. And I would love a science, and science at its best is actually radically empirical, not just quantitative, but qualitative, and actually accounting for empirical. That's why I think Terence McKenna so for the is a great scientist. So you want scientists to account for the affective as well. Like my friend's uh, poetical dictionary, like a dictionary, have knowledge right. take into consideration other things besides that which can be measured. Okay, how do how does a scientist? I mean, I I, I would love this. I'm all for it. But how is this going to happen? How would scientists take account of things that can't be measured, and how would they well, then factor that into their equations? Yeah, I would change everything. We change the methodology fundamentally, and maybe even right? the questions and, they're asking. Exactly, and so that's why that's. I realized the article, Different questions. the blog post I was writing about psychedelics, about being empirical, I, I, I realized that what I was talking about was the ancient shaman, who, that we, the, the splitting of the poet and the scientist mm -hmm. and the wise man, all, that's a relatively recent phenomenon. Right. Right. And, and I think. I hope you enjoyed the unregistered podcast with Thaddeus Russell. For our fifth and final podcast today, we have Decentralized Revolution, hosted by Aaron Keith Harris. The show is an interview-style podcast put on by the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Party politics isn't really my bag these days, but they're a bunch of impassioned young guys, and the interviews are interesting. Go check them out. I can't, I don't know. He, 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 him? Is that how it goes? Yeah, I guess. Um... Uh, so you mentioned free speech. I, I've heard a lot, uh, and I don't know if it's true or not, um, about like it's hate speech. So-called hate speech is a big issue up there, right? Is it, so? Uh, what 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 does the free speech uh, situation look like right now? Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, you know, like I said, we we've had this bill C sixteen brought in, and this is the bill that uh, led to Jordan Peterson's fame or notoriety, whatever you want to call it, where he, ref he, he pointed out, and rightfully so, I think that this uh, amendment to our Charter of Rights and Freedoms amounts to compelled speech when right. looked at through a legal lens. Um, then we have, in Canada, we have uh, uh, human rights commissions in 
in most of the provinces. We used to have a federal one, but that was disbanded, thankfully. But we still have these provincial ones and these provincial human rights tribunals. For example, one in Alberta took a complaint. Um, Ezra Levant was at one time the editor of a publication called The Western Standard here in Alberta. And uh, the, there were some Danish cartoons uh while ago that got some, yep. some these cartoonists killed by uh, radical Islamists and uh, you know they, they were cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad and Ezra republished these cartoons in the Western Standard I think he was the only publication in North America to republish these cartoons uh, and someone an imam took him to the Human Rights Commission and he spent you know a quarter million dollars defending himself against this he ultimately won, but uh, but you know that's because he had a good legal team, and other people haven't been so lucky. So you know there was a comedian in Quebec, who uh, who <laughs> made a joke about how he wanted his money back from this Make-A-Wish boy who who uh, lived or something like that, <laughs> okay. and the family got very offended by this and uh, and uh, took him to the Human Rights Commission, and oh, I think goodness. he ended up having to pay forty thousand dollars or something like that. Another wow. comedian in Vancouver dealt with some hecklers, some lesbian hecklers, and he made some kind of derogatory comment towards them, at, you know, at his show, and they took him in a human rights commission. Uh, most recently, and, and they won, by the way, he, I think he had to pay tens of thousands to them. Uh, and then recently we had this, um, I'm not sure what are, are his pronouns are, Jessica Yaniv uh, oh, from Vancouver, yeah. Yeah, took, took some, uh, beauty salons to the human rights tri tribunal because they refused to wax her female uh testicles and uh and so now luckily uh they stopped the the lunacy there they drew the line there but you know they should have drawn the line a lot yeah. further down so yes our our freedom of speech we do not have what you have in the u.s where it's enshrined right there article one uh this right shall not be infringed yeah. period um, it's basically notwithstanding this and that this right shouldn't be infringed, but there's right. a lot of uh, caveats to that and uh, you know these human rights tribunals which don't follow proper court proceeding which don't follow proper principles of justice or evidence are making rulings that are ruining lives mm -hmm. for what people are saying. There's one pastor in Red Deer who was required he, he made some kind of what was deemed basically homophobic remarks in his congregation and inside he, his own church inside his own church yeah. and uh the, the ruling from the human rights commission said something about how he couldn't mention things in emails and private conversations uh like they, they, they're just it's so draconian it's it's uh it's beyond belief so is there any daylight uh, among the, the, the major parties, are they all pretty much in agreement on this? Or are there any anybody saying, hey, we're going too far here? All right. Once again, that was the Decentralized Revolution podcast with Aaron Keith Harris. We have reached the end of the episode. So if you like what we do, feel free to hit us up at This Week in Liberpods on Facebook, at Liberpods on Twitter, or Liberpods.com. If there's a show you think we missed, send it along. Also, to this point, there have been no repeats, so it is absolutely worth it to go back to episode one and start from the beginning. Lastly, be sure to check out our friends at Liberty Podcast Ranker. I hope the test drive was worth it, and have a good day.
podcast is a proud creation of the Mad Audio Lab. For more information, check out madaudiolab.com. This Week in Liberpods is part of the Liberty Hippie Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out Homesteads and Homeschools, Peace Freaks, Cannabis Heals Me, and Free Markets Green Earth. We're living proof that libertarian doesn't mean washed up Republican.